and welcome to Trek Companion. This is episode 262. I'm your host, Brian Williams. I'm Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we are discussing Star Trek Discovery's first season episodes, Choose Your Pain and Lathe. Here we go. Choose Your Pain, Season 1, Episode 5. Original release date, October 15th, 2017. Directed by Lee Rose. Story by Gretchen J. Berg, Aaron Harberts, and Kemp Powers. Teleplay by Kemp Powers. Guest cast include Jane Brooke as Vice Admiral Katrina Cornwell, Mary Chifo as Laurel, Wilson Cruz as Dr. Hugh Colber, Rain Wilson as Harry Mudd, Conrad Coates as Terrell, Emily Coates as Kayla Detmer, Julianne Grossman as Discovery Computer, Patrick Kwan Jun as Reese, and Sarah Midditch as Arium. <laughs> While on a mission, Lorca is captured by the Klingons and unexpectedly finds himself in the company of prisoner of war Starfleet Lieutenant Ash Tyler and notorious criminal Harry Mudd. On Discovery, Berman has grown concerned by the toll the drive has taken on the Ripper. Along with Stamets' partner, medical officer Hugh Kluber, Burnham convinces Stamets to find an alternative to run the drive against the orders of Commander Saru. See the sun and moon, watch your comings and goings. In the endless nights and days that are before you. Are you sure this will work? No. But if this is its response to an adverse environment, what is it considered to be hospitable? This creature has traveled to the far ends of the universe. My hope is that what makes it most happy is to be free. Adam, why don't you start us off on Choose Your Pain? Choose Your Pain. Um, it's a it's a it's a meaningful episode because we get introduced to Ash Tyler, who's going to be important throughout the rest of this season. Um, whether we whether we like that importance or not will be debated, I'm sure. Don't um, <laughs> don't like it. Go ahead. <laughs> um, I, I'm probably going to side with you there, um, um, Brian. But yeah, we get Ash is introduced in this episode. Um, we get we get a little bit more about look. Lo- Lorca, um, you know, early on in the episode, you know, there's, um, you know, he's kind of told that he needs to kind of rein it in, and we kind of start seeing this dynamic with him and the Admiral and the Admiral about this kind of power struggle, and you kind of get more of a sense throughout this episode of what kind of Captain Lorca is. He's not your, he's not your Kirk or Picard or any kind of. He's, he's, he's morally, you're not sure about him. You're not sure which way or another, and I don't know. We've talked about this in previous he's episodes. Kind of gray. Yeah, he's kind of gray. Um, but you know, he didn't do anything. You know, he gets captured by the Klingons and he's imprisoned. Um, the cool thing we get Harry Mud. Um, it's, it's the actor who plays him is really good from The Office. What, what is his name? Um, Stephen. Sorry. Rain Wilson. Rain Wilson. Yeah, he does a great Harry Mud. Um, he's going to be fun to watch throughout the the series when we see him in episodes. Um. You know, and then on um, Discovery, you know, we get the we kind of go back to the dynamic between Burnham and um, Saru. This kind of this tug of war that they they keep ha- they've had with each other um, so far throughout the um, series. Um, I kind of you know the first time I watched this um, series, I wasn't sure about you know the mode of transportation and the you know this web. Um, the spore web that they kind of had going on, but I think the second time around, I'm kind of appreciating it more. It's just it's kind of a cool science fiction idea, you know, this web that kind of connects everything, and that's how they travel. They can jump to any point in space. Like I said, I'm kind of I'm I'm enjoying it more this time around because I'm not 
quite taking it as a seriously. I don't think it's the first time I watched Discovery. So it's I've kind of come grown to think of it more as a cool science fiction idea that they brought about in this series. And you kind of get a little bit more of how that works, how the engines work, and you know the spores and how everything interconnects in this episode. So it's kind of kind of important along those lines. And those were kind of my thoughts about it. But it, as usual, you know, it's this is just kind of like a chapter in the series. It's not kind of necessarily like a one-off where we almost kind of jump from right where we ended the last episode into this one. So that's kind of how it's going to go. Well, you said uh, you thought that that lengthy explanation scene where, where they where they talk about how the spore drive works was cool. The question is, did you think it was effing cool? <laughs> yeah. I said they, I was going to bring they, it up they, they, briefly. They, they did it twice, not once. Yeah, twice. yeah. They, they 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 doubled down on it. All right. I I said I won't I won't go into quite quite as much detail as last time, but this is probably you know this is really what we were talking about last time. This is kind of the the high point or the low point, depending on how you look at it. And I remember last time, Adam, you took the view of the showrunners and the writers who said this is how people talk. I took a different view. I said Star Trek has always been kind of a family show, and then I lamented that this happened, that they used the F-bomb in this episode. The one extra thing I wanted to point out that I didn't bring up last time is the argument that this is how people talk and that they were choosing to make a different kind of Star Trek show. We do have in-universe canon stuff that says, actually, this is not how they talk in Star Trek. Because that scene in Star Trek Four. Everybody, the colorful, colorful metaphors, and Spock exp- or Kirk explains to Spock, "This is how people talked at the time. You know, nobody listens to you if, unless you curse every other word." The implication being that Star Trek has moved on from this kind of uh, low-brow syntax, and we didn't. We never mentioned that that there's that there is actually an in-universe explanation for why they don't speak this way and why they never have on Star Trek. I didn't bring that up last time, so I wanted to make sure I brought that up today. So that's still not my main reason for disparaging it. Like like I said, to me it was a family show, and I hate that from here on forever. I I, I don't can't watch this with my son, for example. But I did want to point out the Star Trek Four thing. I don't know if you guys have any. If the, I'm sure that doesn't change your opinion, Adam. But not really. I mean, you know, I, th- I mean, you know, we talked about I, I, this one might have been felt a little bit forced, but I think they picked the right character to use it. It's Tilly. She's young. She's just basically fresh out of um, the academy. Um, so it kind of makes sense that she, if they were going to do this with any character, it would be her because she's not quite you know, formed as an officer or whatever she's going to be. She's a young kid, basically. And so I think that's kind of what they were going with. Um, and, you know, I think they did it in the right frame, reference frame of reference. You know, they're talking about this whole network of spores and that kind of thing. Uh, you know, it's a shock factor. You know, it's, it's just changing up the guard. It's <laughs> it's to, to bring kind of, to kind of give a connection to younger people and more audiences that kind of want more of a, a realistic um portrayal um whether you agree with that or not obviously you don't brian um it's like i said it's not really that big a deal for me it also seems to me like it this isn't gonna bring in somebody that wasn't gonna watch star oh they use an f-bomb i'm gonna watch star trek now i i mean i i don't see that i see that it could turn some people off but i just don't see how it brings anybody in and i don't see how it would have been I, it seems to me it would have been equally as effective if she just exclaimed 
That's so cool. But you're also talking about, you know, it's 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 the F word and it's what it, how it was used. I mean, the F word can be used a hundred different ways. It's probably one of the most versatile words in the English language because it has so many different meanings in the way it's said. This wasn't said and it wasn't said in a vulgar way. It wasn't said to describe the act. It was just said to emphasize what a cool thing that they were doing was doing. And that's that's a proper use of the word, but it's it's not a, to what it's so you, to me you have to look at how it's used in its context. This wasn't used in an offensive way, so I don't doesn't bother me, and I don't think it should bother you know if, you know if you want to let your ten year old son watch it or you know kids girls or whatever. I don't think it's going to like you know destroy their minds. You know, also in this episode you get to see an officer get impaled, and I brought this this point up too, and I'll keep bringing it up every time you bring up the curse words. This show is a lot more violent. Absolutely. The reason I bring it up is you don't have the same problem with the violence. That you no, do of course part. I do. But the you, other Star Trek, <laughs> I, in fact, I brought this whole thing up last time when it was because of like a, uh, a violence thing, like a horror thing. Right. That's what yeah. I didn't bring it up the first time the F-bomb. Yeah. So, yeah. no, I'm, I'm completely with you. That, like, it's not just the language that makes this yeah. rated. Yeah, because M A or yeah. whatever they call because in, yeah, in the first you know five minutes of the episode, we you know we he's not. I'm going to call him the red shirt. The red shirt, the the shuttle pilot, a Lorca. You know, yeah. he gets basically you get to see him get impaled. It's not so. <laughs> it's but like I said, it's not on cable. T- it's not on broadcast network TV. This is all streaming devices, and this is kind of the way the world is going. I'm glad that for all the people that are totally fine with this, there's somebody on our podcast that is with them because I am not, and I'm glad that their view has been represented by. With, with your opinion. We're just going to definitely always disagree on this thing. I still, it still bothers me. I think this is probably the worst example only because it does seem so forced. It sticks out so much. Like they were just, like somebody said, oh, let's use an F bomb in this episode. Okay, good idea. Where can we put it? You know, I mean, it doesn't, yeah. it, it doesn't come off as natural. Steve, do you have any additional thoughts on that? And then also give us your first thoughts on the uh, episode. Yeah, I mean, I think you guys have kind of covered it with this. Uh, You know, I have no problem with it. It's just that I think any time you do something that's, um, well, I mean, let's just, I think any choice needs to have a reason really you know it does it does it improve what you're doing and and even if you go down the path of um <clears throat> the path of you're trying to like do something you're trying to gain market with this you're trying to get people to view it i don't i don't really understand that either i don't i mean i'm not saying it, it's it's not a big deal it's just kind of like such a stunt i mean what, what they did here was a stunt right so like if you have a certain kind of vernacular in their language and it feels natural, it's one thing, but if you only say it once in a blue moon and you just do it in this kind of isolated, weird way, it's just like, okay, that was silly. I mean, it's just silly. And so, I mean, I could, the, the violence, you know, the violence is, is, you know, sometimes pretty harsh in this too. Um, but I mean, you could make a better argument for, I want this kind of reaction. I want to show what, how, how serious something was or how big of a deal something was so I can, you know, um, but whatever, I don't, I don't think it's worth getting into so much, but, you know, overall though, um, well, the obviously this this episode is big because it introduces Tyler, who sticks with us here for a while. I know it was I I anticipated a lot because of uh, Rain Wilson as Harry Mudd. I, I you know I've always been an, uh, a fan of The Office, and I like him, and so it was kind of a cool notion, you know, he he in that role, you know, and so 
while these have been, um, while the continuity thing is there and it's a binge watching kind of program, this, this does have a, a focus, you know, in that the prison, you know, so there's an episodic nature of it in that sense, like, okay, yeah, there's the stuff going on, on the ship there's, but there's also the prison and what's playing, you know, what's going on here and so on. So, um, I, I think it's I think it's a, a, a fine episode. I think there's a development and so forth, and there's some interesting things. But specifically in regards to the uh, kind of stunt stuff they did with the language and the uh, you know violence and that kind of whatever. Did they, did they have they used the f bomb since? I don't recall. Yeah, I don't any remember the f- nature of it, but somewhere yeah, in they did. In third season, did they, I don't recall any in the third season. But we'll get to that, I suppose. I like uh, I like Rain Wilson. I think he does a a, a pretty great job. I don't know that he he it feels like the Roger Carmel mud, but you know we have precedent for that. We talked about it before, like um, Metamorphosis and uh, First Contact. That's Ephraim Cochran. I mean, he seems like he's only the same guy in name. Rain Wilson's performance doesn't seem informed by Roger C. Carmel, but I mean he's probably closer to it than. <laughs> The the Zephram Cochran example is he is he gonna have they said anything about him reprising that role for the Pike series? Well, I haven't heard anything like that, but I guess it would be possible. You know, he did that. We, obviously, he's going to come back in this show, and then also that short Star Trek, the short Trek thing he directed. I believe the one that yeah right yeah the the android stuff. So yeah, I don't know. That that would be fun though. Because I'd like to see him, you know, the thing about Mud was always that he, it was always such a, even if it was a darker kind of thing, he was, I don't know, it was, it was a light, lighter character. And he's so almost gritty here. I don't know. Maybe it's not as, as funny just because of the nature of the show. But, you know, if you, if you put him on Strange New Worlds and it has the tone that they've implied it's going to have, that, that might be an even better fit for me. But, you know, I think Rain Wilson is good here. I think he's, I think he's fun. I mean, he like, he kind of commands the screen. He's, he's just one of those talented star actors. So I think Jason Isaacs is the same. So I think he's good. And I, and I think that was inspired casting, having him play Mud. So you want to get into good old Ash? You know, I think in, in, out, out of context... In like just this episode by itself, and maybe the next one, I'm indifferent about him. It's only knowing where he came from and where he's going that makes me <laughs> makes me be like, uh, Tyler. Um, I I think my problem with it, and I feel bad about saying this because I, I'm I'm not too familiar with the actor's work um, beyond this, but I don't know. It just feels like a really not a very good casting because the guy kind of reminds me of Ray Romano. So I can yeah. never, I can never take him. And nothing gets Ray Romano. I love Ray Romano, but I can never take him seriously because, it, and that's how I feel about Ash. I can never take him seriously because it doesn't. I don't look at this guy and go Starfleet officer or security officer. I kind of look at him as kind of like the the goof off at the bar or something. And I, I feel bad about that because I don't think it's his fault. I don't think it's his performance. I just think it wasn't a, a good, very good cast. I I can see where you're coming from, and, and I would agree with you in one sense. You know that such a big part of his character's storyline requires you to feel like a like an empathetic connection, and I mostly don't feel that way about him. And I'm not sure why. Maybe it's just 
an extension of feeling zero uh, emotional connection to the Klingon stuff. There was such a distance there. And then it just, I just, it just had nowhere to go. It couldn't translate to Ash Tyler, the human. I'm not sure, but uh, like, I feel way more emotionally invested and and connected to and empathetic with Sinequa Martin Green's performance. And I'm not a woman. So that's saying something. <laughs> but when we, when we when we get further on into the season, when we start talking about I, you know, I'm gonna, I'm, you know, spoiler alert here. I'm gonna feel like the relationship between Tyler and um, um, Michael is forced. That that felt forced to me. But we'll get into that yeah, down the road. I agree. Yeah. Well, just to reiterate too, our spoiler idea here is anything we're talking about season one. So anything in season one is definitely fair game. We're assuming you've watched all of season one before listening to any of our season one discussion. So, yeah, I mean, I just wrote in my notes, still not into the Tyler thing. (laughs) That's all I wrote. You got any thoughts about that one, Steve? Well, I agree. I'm I'm kind of indifferent to him in these, and I think it's all just kind of, I mean, yeah, I didn't feel much for the whole him and Burnham and such as this progresses. It was kind of just whatever, you know. I mean, one thing looking back on this episode, I feel like, how did I not know the entire storyline at this point? I mean, in yeah. respect, you know, when you see it again, yeah. you kind of like, Oh, that, and it's Oh obvious. yeah. Um, <laughs> Lorca and where he's from, you know, these kind of things. But um, anyway, last time I remember bringing up that I felt like the writers didn't actually understand how the darn spore drive worked. They do seem like they're really trying their best to explain it in this episode. So I want to at least give them credit for that since I gave them crap about it last time. I still don't, entirely follow and i still it still feels just one step too far into fantasy and not like it needs to be reined in one step closer to us in the science fiction side of things which is what you know star trek is based on i mean i still don't necessarily love it maybe there but they they definitely tried to explain it and so i want to give them credit for that well tad on your point i definitely see what you're saying and this is kind of they've never really they don't do a very good job building on it, even in into to future shows and, and seasons. I think they could have spent more time kind of delving into this idea. And that's kind of, like I said, um, you know, you know, beyond the season, we don't, it's just, it's just commonplace. Okay. I'm black driver and jump. And there's no really like, you know, kind of going back to this. So, but I was going to say, what I was going to say before, I think the scenes that I kind of enjoyed the most in this episode were the, um, Saru, um, um, Michael scenes. Um, you know, just that, it's just that tension between them. And even in the end scene when Saru is, you know, explaining to Burnham, you know, the, the chances that she, she got, he wasn't going to get, you know, he wanted to be the first officer for, you know, and that kind of, that, so those were really cool. Those were the more, more meaningful scenes throughout this um, episode for me. Yeah. That, that scene at the end there, when Burnham gives him Giorgio's telescope is pretty sweet. Yeah. You really feel like their connection in that scene is pretty good. Um, I gotta say, I, <laughs> the scene I enjoyed the most in this episode was the toothbrushing scene, the Stamets and Colbert scene. <laughs> Those two have a pretty good chemistry, but there's just something so sweet and normal, just like domestic, you know, just normal stuff in that scene. It was so weird, and, and it was almost like it stuck out in this show, because I feel like we've not seen that sort of thing. And I often talk about this is what I love the most, but because of the way that I love Star Trek, living in this universe, you know, feeling that it's 
this real thing and people live here. That's why so many times stuff, something like this could be my favorite thing. So I'm not surprised that it's my favorite. I'm just surprised that like, if you had told me before the episode, people are going to be brushing their teeth and that's going to be your favorite bit in the show. <laughs> okay. No, no, Brian, I, I could definitely see where you're coming at. Cause you know, in past shows when, you know, you know, the sonic shower that doesn't have any water or, you know, when Jordy was shaving with the, you know, the laser razor, you know, so those things weren't quite relatable. This is more of a relatable thing. Everybody's well, it's not just that teeth. they're brushing their – it's that the two of them are brushing their teeth together. Right. Yeah. You it's, know? A, it's something that everybody's done. It's a relatable thing, you know, domestic thing. So I see where you're coming from. Yeah. But it kind of does point out what you're talking about. There, There's some issues with this episode and tonally how it's just all over the place. You know, like this that that, that is that is a that is a good moment. But it, like you said, it doesn't really fit with everything else. But a lot of this doesn't fit with everything else. You know, they've kind of it's hard to pinpoint one consistent theme. Um, you know, you have this very dark prison stuff. You've got the stuff going on in the ship that's a little playful and, you know, if anything or whatever. And um, it, it's just it, and then later on you get when. Tyler's aboard and, and he and Burnham and whatnot. And so it just kind of feels like you're just getting thrown around emotionally, sort of. I know, think they could have smoothed it out a lot if they just had Stamets turn to Culber and say, toothbrushing is effing cool. There you go. I think that would have, it would have like had a, like a callback circular thing and then it would have all felt a lot smoother. They've done some kind of like South Park stunt where they just see how many times they can put it in there, you know, like <laughs> they have a little tally going, you know. Do you, do you have the effing toothpaste? I need to. <laughs> so, Steve, I definitely agree. You mean there's almost like three episodes in this one episode. You got the prison yeah. episode. You got yeah. the episode where you know there's. It's almost like a prime directive episode, like this creature harm cost of you mm-hmm, know they're mm-hmm. they're harming this. That's been one episode, you know, um, and then you know the interpersonal relationships been one episode. So they kind of jammed a bunch of themes all into one episode i definitely see where you're coming from where it kind of just jumps around yeah and i get that the nature of this is different than with other ones we've reviewed right because it just continues on and on and on but still it seems like the best ones can thematically kind of tie it together in some fashion you know it feels like something cohesive well that seems like a good uh transition into what is this episode about it's got several themes on here i mean the one that kind of stuck out to me because it's it's it felt more star trek was you know the treatment of the tardigrade um the ripper um you know obviously they need to jump around to you know have their advantage over the klingons but it's obviously taking this toll on this creature and you know you get those scenes with michael and saru where saru's like uh, you know what wasn't it was stamus and colber where they were you know colber was like i'm not gonna have any part in harming this creature and and saru's i'll take on i'll take on the blame so there's that's I don't know. That kind of feels more Star Trek to me. You know, we've, we've seen that, that kind of that confrontation of like, you know, how much do you take advantage of one of some, of something until it harms them? You know, it's, it's a, it's, it's an interesting conversation that you can have into today's society, you know, and, and throughout. So that's what I, that's what I liked what they were saying about that. And and in the end, Saru realized, you know, his kind of mistake. And he, you know, he told Michael, you know, do everything you can to help save this creature. Um, but obviously you have stuff going on in the prison, um, you know, so it's, it, that doesn't really kind of match up. So it's kind of hard to, to blend everything together into what exactly they were trying to say, but that's kind of what I took out of it from this episode. Yeah. I mean, it's like, if, if they would have given more time or more focus to what was going on in the ship and the, what you just described, you know, that would have been some kind of theme there. But 
but how it sits is that it feels like you, I mean, I do, I remember the prison stuff more, you know, I mean, I remember, you know, in terms of maybe part of it's the title of the episode, I don't, you know, this kind of stuff, but because of that, it's really hard to tie it all together. Like, what are they, what are, what are the commonality between these things? And so I think that kind of does some disservice because it's not like there's all bad stuff here. It's just that the, um, there, there's these, there's these notions of things they want to say, but it's, it, there's so many of them that, it just feels like you're, it's just, it just feels like you just, it's, I mean, it's, it's one thing when you have like these binge watchable kind of seasons and you know, they all run together. But when, it, when, when you have an episode that feels like they just, you could potentially just randomly start in the whole thing in one place and stop in another place, you know, I, I don't know that really works either. All right. Six degrees for choose your pain. Can be more of a trivia type question. Steve, do you want it? Or are you going to wait and take your question after the next episode? I'll go for it. Rain Wilson plays Harry Mudd. Name the last episode that Mudd was in. Hint. It was neither Mudd's women nor I Mudd. Hmm. Okay. But it was Roger C. Carmel. Yes. Yes. Um, I know what you're going for. I can't think of the title. And um, mud is in the name. How about uh, mud in your eye? <laughs> <laughs> nope. Adam. Um, the last mud episode, or the last mud episode that he was in, Discovery, or just in general across Star Trek. The last time there was an episode that was broadcast prior to this one that had Harry Mud in it. Um. Damn, I don't know. Sorry. Animated series. Mud's passion. Okay, it's an easy one to forget because it's kind of generic compared to Mud's women or I Mud. Yeah, I didn't remember that title. Doesn't ring yeah. bell at all. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, nobody got that one. We are moving on. Lathe, season one, episode six. Original release date October twenty second, two thousand seventeen. Directed by Douglas Aronkowski. Written by Joe Minoski and Ted Sullivan. Guest cast include James Frain as Sarek, Mia Kirshner as Amanda Grayson, Kenneth Mitchell as Cole, Conrad Coates as Terrell, Emily Coots as Kayla Detmer, Julianne Grossman as Discovery Computer, Sarah Midich as Ariam, and Oyen Oladejo as Joanne Osekun. <laughs> On his way to broker a peace deal with renegade Klingon houses, Sarek is injured, unconscious, and lost in a nebula when a logic extremist attempts to assassinate him. Berman senses Sarek's distress, and Lorca agrees to rescue him with an unsanctioned jump. At the nebula, Berman, Tilly, and Tyler take a shuttle to attempt to connect with Sarek's mind. Meanwhile, Admiral Cornwall visits Discovery to question the decisions and mental capacities of Captain Lorca. Sir, he's in trouble. He might be dying. His ship is lost in a nebula. We go in with the shuttle. Flying with nothing but hope and a prayer. Are you really that crazy? Good to know. You launched an unauthorized rescue mission. I'm trying to win a war. Don't make enemies on your own side. Steve, kick us off on Lathe. I really dig this episode uh, on the whole. So um, I think what's what's cool is that, I mean, anything that you know, for a big Trek fan, anything that's, that references Canon in, in, in a way that you haven't quite seen and, and kind of give some insight into some things is, is cool anyway. But I mean, it does have a focus on the whole. I mean, you do have multiple things going on here, but you know, the primary story of, um, what's going on with Sarek and the Vulcans and his relationship with Burnham and, 
the dynamics and their history, that's all there. It's got some weight. It's got, you know, some meaning, you know, it, it feels real, you know, that kind of thing. Um, I, so I, I, I like this one quite a bit and, um, yeah, and even the stuff that's the B story sort of is compelling in a sense because in, in this grand scheme of things, you know what's going on there. You get to see another side of how malicious Lorca is and how crazy he is. And and then and again, in retrospect, you know what's going on here with some of the kind of clues they provide. So, um, yeah, um, I guess I'll just say that as my intro to this. I'm sure we'll talk more about details. Yeah, I think we're agreeing. Like I, the Choose Your Pain, it was a little too all over the map for me to overall say that I enjoyed it and liked it. And then I had other issues, blah, blah, blah. But in this episode, this episode, Lathe, I like. I think it's a good, well-rounded episode. It has lots of good stuff in it. It has scenes that I enjoy watching. Some of the flashback stuff, well, sort of flashbacks, sort of whatever you call that, the mind melt leaf stuff outside her school like those scenes were cool. And I'm like, every time we went away, I'm like, I want to go back to that. Let me see more of that. Great. And the things that I sort of had problems with in this episode, they weren't really problems with the episode. They were more like, like I I disagreed with a character's choice, but that didn't mean it was, that didn't make it a bad thing. Like I, Lorca offers Tyler that chief security position. And I'm like, he's been in a Klingon, he's been tortured physically to mentally for seven months. That's awful fast here to put him back in there. You know, that seems nutty to me. I didn't feel it was, uh, I don't know, like a writing mistake or something. I felt more like this captain is screwy, <laughs> you know, which is probably what I'm supposed to feel. So, yeah, I agree. I, I, I like this episode. I think, it, I, think it's, I think it's good. And it's, when it's, and it's kind of the first time where you're like, where you feel like the discovery formula can can work you know the last choose your pain is an example where what they're doing it's just got too many hard edges and too many things that don't connect and it's it's too much it's not smooth or whatever but it's not like it's a systemic issue because this episode tries probably just as many different things but they still they they're thematically unified enough and they go back to things at the right time that it, it just feels like it works so much better to me yeah, Adam, what are your first thoughts? Yeah, I agree. I like this episode as well. Um, and I think for a lot of the reasons that, that Steve mentioned, you know, you get canon here. You, I mean, you know, if you, the most, you, Sarek, you get so much out of the Sarek character. I mean, you know, watching this, rewatching this again. And the thing that kind of struck me is how his fellow Vulcans viewed him. They kind of viewed him as crazy, you know, it's like, oh, you've got this one experiment. And now you got this other experiment, you know, and you're trying to bring humanity into um, the Vulcan. So you, you get this, yeah, you start to get a perception of like what Sarek was viewed as, you know, all through these years, we've all, you know, we've kind of just seen how, you know, Spock was viewed, you know, this kind of this outsider and he went to Starfleet and, you know, we know the whole story, but um, not so much about like what Sarek is. And I think this episode does a lot just for his character and the background and, um, and, you know, without stepping out of line here, you know, you, you, you see that he's there's some humanity in him with the mistakes that he made. You know, he had to choose basically between which kid could go to the Vulcan Science Academy and he chose Spock and that we well, you know that didn't work out for well him either. And just that humiliation and that embarrassment that he has to bury within him because um, he doesn't want, you know, it's almost like he'd rather die than let um, Michael see 
the distress, the emotional distress inside of him about that choice that he made. Um, so, you know, even even at the, towards the end of the episode, um, you know, Michael's clearly mad at him, and she's like, "We will have this talk, Father." While she's walking out of the sick bay, it's a it's a really great scene, and you just left there with you know Sarah just with kind of with this not a dumbfounded look. I mean, I guess a dumbfounded look for a, a Vulcan, but it, you know, the actor did it really well, just kind of just staring at going, you know, she's right. We're going to have this talk. So I thought those interactions were really the, the cool parts of um, this episode. And I agree. I mean, the A and the B story, they don't really connect, but they don't really have to, you know, cause you have all the things going on with Lorca, you know, you get kind of more in depth into his character and, you know, we get, a little bit about what this admiral is all about. So those are cool too, but those are the main things that I took from this episode was the, the Sarek insight. The amazing thing it does is, you know, when, when we all first, first heard, okay. Oh, when we like in the first episode and we realized, okay, so she's like Sarek's sort of long lost daughter that we just now we hearing about, we've never heard about before. Okay. You know, a, you know, we, we've, we've had that, that skepticism, rightfully so. This episode does something amazing to me in that it almost explains a logic to how this could have happened, right? So it's like, there is something in Sarek that makes him interested in humans, maybe more than the average Vulcan and want to connect with them more than the average person. And that's how he ended up the ambassador. That's how he ended up at this, you know, school or whatever, the the place when he first saved Michael. So there's like, this episode made me understand for the first time it, it sold it to me in a way that i'm like okay you know what i can see how maybe his predilection to connect with humans could have produced this secondary kind of mystery offspring that, that this is actually reasonable <laughs> and i and i never thought that before this episode which is pretty cool so that's kind of where you're talking about too for me this kind of sort of connection to canon but not like overly reliant upon it or anything like that you could have not known any you could have never seen the original series or the movies and you would have been entirely fine here and in fact more than that it still would have had the emotional uh punch that it was trying to have with their relationship does um michael exist in the um in the jj first I don't know why that may be because I just when I when I heard um, Sarah talk about you know and then Spock left I just because that's that scene in the original in Star JJ Star Trek movie when Spock walks out and I don't, I'm just kind of going off topic here it's like <laughs> what happened to Burnham Burnham in um, well in the prime prime Mikkel. universe Spock didn't go to that school too right I mean that's this is normal. Yeah, but I mean, you know, obviously, I mean, I don't know, like I said, I'm going off topic where what happened to her in the Kelvin timeline. But anyway, but that's a discussion probably off off the air. <laughs> well, I think uh, I, I think what's what's yeah, I think we, we touched on it. But what's so interesting is it, that challenge of you think about, uh, you know, having a good good episode that stands alone and feels like something cohesive existing in this canon and then informing you know, the canon, but not deviating it from it so far that it doesn't feel right. I mean, that's a, that's a hard thing to do, probably. I mean, you know, it's, it's it's a big challenge. And I think this episode is just just perfect in that regard. It does all those things, you know, because you learn it it, it makes sense with the Sarek we know. It ex- expands upon that. Um, and then Vulcans as well, you know. I mean, I think it's interesting to kind of uh, compare and contrast 
how they're handling Vulcans and Klingons in this series, you know, because we talked about how Klingons just feels like it's coming out of left field, you know, where they just let's make up a bunch of new stuff and throw it at you just for fun or for the heck of it or whatever. With the Vulcans, it, 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 it's, it makes sense in the context of what we've seen, what we saw like an Enterprise, what we saw, you know, the, the, the various little tidbits, it all kind of comes together. It doesn't feel like it's um, unusual or foreign or whatever. And then we see how it affects the lives of the, of the characters we've come to know over, over the years. And so, and the biggest thing, of course, is, to me is that this, this makes uh, the Spock-Serik relationship make a lot more sense too. It, it gives us some insight into... It's like, oh, I can see why there's such animosity. You know, you saw what he did and and where it led and why that would be so difficult. And um, yeah, I, I think it's I think it's really good. It's really interesting. It's also interesting how uh, Michael handles Sarek as opposed to how Spock handles right. handles him. Right. Um, she she pushes him. She pushes Sarek a, a lot throughout. You know, obviously in this episode, but even but then she also accepts. Yeah. That, you know, she says, like, I'll never get from him what I want either. He's not, she kind of accepts him for who he is. And it's not like she insists that they have that conversation right there in sickbay. She's like, all right, we'll have it eventually. And she's, <laughs> she's cool with it, which is, again, different from how Spock reacted to the situation. Well, she makes sure to, she makes sure to make, she makes sure he knows <laughs> that she knows, you know, there's no like ambiguity there. Or, you know, we're not going to say anything. Yeah. That, that same, that scene where she's telling Tyler, you know, I'll never get from Sarek what I want. Tyler's response is <laughs> something like, well, you know, these are just emotional issues. It sounds like you're just, you know, these are just issues about being human. <laughs> it's like, I learned to say like, how would you know? <laughs> how would you know exactly? So, well, Brian, I think to go back, I don't know. I think maybe if they didn't make him a security officer, maybe they kind of made him more of like a, a helmsman, like Tom Paris, because obviously, I've, you know, he was described as the best um, shuttle pilot. So maybe that would have made a little bit more sense, because when you think of um, security officer, you think of Worf and even the security officer that was on this show for one episode, you know, kind of stern and kind of kind of an ass, an ass, you're not. You don't really like him. And this guy, like I said, he's like I said, he's like Ray Romano. You just kind of want to laugh with him and have a good time. So I think if they would have just made him the the head helms, helmsman or something, that might have might have worked better. Last thing I want to make sure we hit on. Lorca and Cornwell get it on. <laughs> this is very, very, very messed up. It feels a little out of place to me until the scene afterward. Um, although we did, it it was done the usual Star Trek way. It's like cut away and not cut back. Oh, the kid, they had sex. The scene afterward when Lorca, you know, suddenly wakes up and nearly kills her. And then she's like, wow, I'm totally taking away your command. Um, and then, of course, Lorca is quick to propose she take Sarek's spot. And then she gets taken hostage. And then he's like, we're not going to be in a rush to conflict Starfleet about this whole problem. So all good for me. But yeah, that moment when she's leaving his quarters and says, I'm definitely taking away your command because you're, you are not dealing with all of this well. That's the first moment where I, it changed the way I saw the previous scene when he was coming on to her. I'm like, oh, this was all just that. That's how dark he is. I mean, this was all just um, subterfuge or distraction. That's, that's the interesting thing about Lorca. So in the same episode, you know, he's kind of setting up his old, you know, his old buddy cornwall um and you're like oh what a jerk but at the same time he's he's 
giving our main character, you know, a position on the ship, you know, a science officer. So it's, uh, you know, we've, I'm going to say, we've said it before, I'll say it again. It's so great. It's like, you know, for a minute, you're like, God, this guy, I don't like this character. But in the next moment, you're like, you know, he's not too bad. So it's always like kind of that seesaw with this character. Again, the, the difference of watching it, having already seen it and knowing right. where it's going to go, his yeah. relationship with his Michael Burnham. Yeah, it's, it's a whole different is stuff. is what in, influences all of these decisions, right. right? You have any thoughts on this one? On this, Steve? Yeah, well, <clears throat> just that I, I really enjoy that character. I mean, yeah, he's nasty, you know, but it's it's consistently just self serving, you know. I mean, it's again, it's hard it's hard to separate from what you you know once you know the whole story of him and going back like that to be able to. But I, I remember even watching it the first time that I thought it was interesting. I thought like, okay, yeah, this is purposely not a, your standard kind of captain on a star on a, on a starship, but it's certainly compelling and interesting to watch how it plays out, you know. And so, I, I think I think it's a great character. I mean, I, I I really enjoy watching this. I enjoy how he acts it. And so, yeah. I mean, going back to choose your pain, you know, I think that's kind of. Um... You know when Lorca stands there, when the other, when the kid, the, the other Starfleet kid gets the crap beat out of him. I just saw the, you know, and that's the difference between like him and Kirk. Kirk, you know, Kirk might have not have been able to stop it, but Kirk would have got hit in the, you know, he would have got beaten up too, and then the other guy would have got, you know, to stop it. Um, and you know, Lorca just kind of stood there and kind of grimaced while this other, you know, this Starfleet. And kid no got way ever kick. would Kirk have, even if uh, Tyler begged him. Kirk would never have said, okay, beat up Tyler. He would have, he would have said, me, take me every time. Yeah, 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 exactly. So those are the things. But I mean, you know, that's not so off the wall. I mean, you know, you kind of, you know, we've had, we've seen, we've had crappy captains as guest star Jericho, obviously. So it's not like, oh, this isn't, this is totally unrealistic. You just, because he's, you know, and they do this because he's not the main focus of the show. So you can kind of have an off kilter captain. And obviously we get the whole realm of things later on in this season, but um, yeah, it kind of keeps you guessing like this guy, he's not totally unlikable, but at the same time, he's kind of not likable at all. So I think you're right, Steve. It's, it's compelling. Uh, so what is laid about or have we kind of covered that? <laughs> Yeah, I think we've kind of covered. I mean, you know, I think mostly what it's about, it's, you know, it's Sarek, the character Sarek coming to terms with the mistakes that he made with his children and um, revealing that to him. And it's about growth. If you can, you know, if you can confront the, the things that you made a mistake, not maybe not maliciously, but you made this mistake, you made these choices that had ill effects upon people that you care about, Um if you can face those, then each of you, each each party can grow from that. Um, and, you know, I think Michael said that right at the end of the episode. You know, it's like, you know, we can we can have this, we can grow closer because of this, not further apart. And I think I think that's what this episode is trying to say. If you can confront your, your, your misdeeds or your mistakes, you can grow from them and become better. Or in the case of Lorca, you can grow from them and become worse. Again, there's not always a good tie-in with A and B stories and some of these and all that, but I mean, this definitely has a primary focus on this A story and and Sarek and the relationship he has with Burnham and this whole notion of the the weight of decisions and events and so on and and the weight of hiding truth, you know, not being open with people and how that uh, you know kind of stymies relationships. You know, I mean, it's. Um, 
it's it's so important to just i think what this episode is saying it's so important to just just you know you get you get past something you share and you you know we the decision happened the the incident happened and we make mistakes and we have to deal with that but bottling it up so you can think about it on your deathbed is not the the way to handle it you know you can get so much more uh, and build your relationships with people close to you by by sharing so yeah anyway i think it's a great episode all right, six degrees for lathe. Uh, Adam. Yes. Mia Kirshner plays Amanda Grayson. How many people have played her at this point? Is it three, five, or seven? Um, four. Or do you get multiple? Sorry, <laughs> sorry you, you, give me, you give me multiple. Give you multiple choice, and your guess doesn't help you. <laughs> no, no. What was the multiple choice again? Sorry. Three, five, or seven. <laughs> I'm gonna go five. Yes, it was five. Jane Wyatt in the original series. Majel Barrett did the voice in an episode of the animated series, and then you had an actress uh, in that scene in Star Trek Five, Cynthia Blaze, and then Winona Ryder in the JJ. Five didn't work out too well for Winona. No. Well, she had another scene, right? She had a that they cut, right? Yeah. So she had more than that tiny bit that she ended up having. But anyway, uh, all right. So we're getting there. We're 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 deep into it now. I think our next podcast we're going to discuss that the the one where Mud comes back with the time yeah. jumping bits that next we all one. remembered. I remember liking a lot. So looking forward to that. Let's see. You can send us an email, trekcompanion at gmail.com. Our Facebook listener page is facebook.com slash trekcompanion. Our Twitter handle is at trekcompanion. Thank you so much for spending an hour with us. And we're going to be back in two weeks for the next two episodes of Star Trek Discovery's first season. Until then, take it easy. Bye, guys. See ya. I passed it.